And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We come now to the fourth fruit, and it's, it's, the, the, uh, it's the fourth characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. And, and I could think of no better fruit to represent our lack of patience than tangerines. Tangerines are the, are the fruit of the day for, for us today, and I just want to go over a few fun fruit facts for you. The name tangerine comes from Tangier, Morocco. Did not know that. I'm going to assume that many of you did not know that. If you did know it, you need to start a fruit talk show or something. Tangerines are an excellent remedy for depression and the winter blahs. Any of you ever get the winter blahs? Anybody? We're just a joy. Thank you. There's some realists. Okay, so so that's a good thing. So so it's good. And then here's the reason why I selected tangerines for this week. It's this. Tangerines are the easiest citrus fruit to peel. They're incredibly handy for impatient people like us. You want to get to the tangerine, you want to get to it quickly, it's an easy fruit to peel. And so at the end of the service, we'll have tangerines for those of you that would like to have one. Tangerines are made for impatient people. And I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you how much of a patient person I am. But yet, that would be an inaccurate assessment of John Bosick. My impatience, though, often rears its ugly head when I'm driving. I do not believe that I drive recklessly. Actually, I think I'm a pretty safe driver. Heidi does not agree, but that's okay. We'll talk later. Um, But... My impatience reared its ugly head the other day as Don and I were coming back on Friday. We were celebrating our 27th anniversary in Sausalito, and before I go any further, Joe and Helen Schlegel celebrated 73 years this last Friday, and uh, so... So that's pretty awesome. 73 years is makes 27 look like one week, but... Uh, but as we were driving back, making great headway and, and making great headway down the 101, feeling really good, we were making good time, and all of a sudden a person veers and cuts me off. Not only did they veer and cut me off, they then did what really aggravates me. They slowed down. Oh, I was, I was irritated. I was irritated, and, and what began to go through my mind was this, why am I irritated? Here's why I was irritated. We were making good time. We were going to be able to get some other things done when we got home. I was all of a sudden, dis- I was disrupted. And my impatience began to build. So I did what most people would do. I changed lanes to go around this person and get around them. As I changed lanes, what did they do? They sped up, which then further took my impatience to another level. So now I'm drag racing down the 101 with this... I won't call him what I'd like to call him, but he would not let me get past him. And I continued, and then I'd slow up, I'd get behind him, he'd slow down. I think he was toying with me, and frankly, this is one of the things I've observed about the way God works in my life. He knows what we're going to be preaching, what I'm going to be preaching on that Sunday, and he says, I'm going to give you all these life lessons. Right? That's the way he operates. 
And so what hit me was this as I began to delve into this irritable state. What hit me was this, was that I've had a wonderful time with my wife all day long. And now this person cuts me off and it rears my impatience level. It brings that up. And I'm allowing that to impact my life. It's a sad state of affairs. But all of us struggle with these things. All of us struggle with, I believe many of us, I should say, struggle with impatience. And I want to just give you a a test right now. Not a test. It's really not a test at all. But I want to put four different scenarios on the screen. And I want you to pick the one that gets your impatience level up. The first one is this, running late for an appointment and hitting every light on red. We're going to get all of them on the board and then I'll ask for for a show of hands. All right, so running late for an appointment and you're hitting every light on red. Number two, repetitive questions from young children. All right, number three, one word, telemarketers. And number four, getting cut off while driving. All right? So I want you to pick one of those four. How many of you would go with running late for an appointment and hitting every light on red? That's the most, wow, got a lot of irritable people. All right? So that's, okay, so that one. Number two, repetitive questions from young children. Okay, these are the people that probably aren't going to be working in children's ministry anytime soon. Okay, that's okay. That's all right. That works. I, I get it. I get it. We've all been there. Number three, or letter C, one word, telemarketers. I anticipated a good turnout for this one. And letter D, getting cut off while driving. I'm with you. Yes, I'm there. Okay? So, we struggle with patience. We struggle with it all the time, and, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3 as we begin taking a look at this issue of patience and our lack thereof. Listen to what Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and then we will look at verse 15. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our minds that we may understand. Open our hearts that we would be transformed by your amazing patience. So that we could then be more of a fruit-filled, spirit-filled people in a very impatient world. And Lord, we pray for Rob right now as he proclaims your word up in Prunedale, we pray that you would give him the words to say and that you would give him that peace that transcends all understanding so that he can proclaim your truth in a very straightforward, confident fashion and that the people would be receptive to the message that you've laid on his heart. And Lord, we pray now that no one would hear anything that I say but only what it is that you want them to hear. 
as we talk about this not-so-fun topic of patience. We love you, and we thank you for being a patient God who never grows weary, the one who pours out patience on us all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want it yesterday. That would seem to be the cry of this world's of this world's culture at this particular time. We want it yesterday. As we've worked our way through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, those are the first three, and those are all sort of warm, fuzzy ones. And then we come to patience, and for some reason, patience does not get met with warm, fuzzy feelings. More often than not, patience is the one characteristic that is often met with a cold shoulder. We read this and we say, why on earth would Paul put patience as part of the fruit of the Spirit? Why would he do this? What seems to be going on here? And Captain Obvious would say this, Captain Obvious would say that we are an impatient people. People get upset when the four full meals that they ordered at McDonald's take some three minutes to get rather than two minutes. Let that sink in. Four full meals in three minutes, and yet we're upset that we didn't get it more quickly. Or we can look at Amazon. Amazon now offers same-day delivery on certain items. Same-day delivery. It isn't that we can get it in two days or three days or, or tomorrow. It's we want it now, and it needs to happen now. And then if you want to see people get really, really have their patience tested, go stand in line at the DMV. Right? This past week, this past week, lawmakers shot down an audit of the DMV to figure out why people are in line for up to eight hours at a time. We are an impatient people. And so as we talk about patience as we talk about what it means. We have an impatient life that needs to be interrupted. It needs to be interrupted by the patience of God. And what I'd like to do this morning, unlike what, what, uh, what we've done in the past, is I want us to take a look at one particular individual. The individual who penned the words that we just read in Second Peter chapter 3, where he talks about patience. I want to talk about Peter the Apostle. He's a lot like us. As a matter of fact, many people would say he is just like us. And because he is so much like us, many people believe that Peter is, is the most popular, the most accessible, the most relatable Apostle. So how's Peter a lot like us? Here's what we can say. First is this, we come to understand through the Gospels that Peter was a hard worker. It appears in Luke's gospel, from Luke's gospel account, that Peter was in a fishing business alongside James and John. The three of them had a very successful business, uh, fishing, and, and Peter worked hard to be a fisherman back then, was long hours, long hours. Second thing that would help us understand that he's a lot like us is this, is that we find out that Peter's married. Now, I realize that not everybody in this room is married. But yet, Peter's married. He understands the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs, the the good times, the bad times of of being married. And and what's interesting is this, is one of Jesus' first miracles was the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. 
which is an interesting thing, I think. And then if you're here this morning and you want things to be fixed now, Peter's your guy. Peter, along with all the other Jewish people at that time, saw that the world was a mess, saw that things were not going well, saw that they weren't being treated properly, saw that the Roman government continued to get worse and worse and worse. Peter, along with other Jews, wanted things to be fixed now. And they knew this to be true, that when the Messiah showed up, things would be fixed now. And what does that mean for them? It meant that they then got the control. It meant that they received all power. It meant that God's kingdom was going to come on this earth. So Peter writes these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Interesting words, considering that as we read through the Gospels, we find that Peter is one of the most impatient apostles of all. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 as we navigate this, uh, this fascinating individual. And in Mark chapter 8, and you'll notice that most of the places that we, uh, we spend time are in Mark 8. And, and why, why Mark's gospel, when we're talking about Peter and the costs of impatient, why Mark's gospel? Many people believe that Mark's gospel is written from Peter's perspective. This is very important, as we will see in a little while, why it's so important that it's written from, from Peter's perspective. Now remember, Peter wanted things fixed now. It was believed that when the Messiah showed up, everything, everything is going to be fixed. The first cost of our impatience is a failure to see the big picture. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. So Jesus has been on the move for about two years at this time doing public ministry. He's been changing lives. He's been doing miracles. He's been confronting the authorities. He's been caring for people in ways that they had never seen before. His teaching was fresh. His teaching was, was so fresh that people were saying, Wow, this guy gets who God truly is. Well, there's a good reason for that. It's because he's God himself. And so people are excited, and so Jesus wants to take a little lay of the land and figure out what's going on here. And so he says, who do the people say that I am? The response, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the other prophets. This perhaps caught Jesus off guard, but, but probably not. He was misunderstood an awful lot of the time. And so then Jesus does something here and asks the most important question that has ever been asked in the history of humanity. It's far more important than what's your purpose in life. It's far more important than whether or not you're called to be married. It's far more important than how are you going to raise your kids. It's far more important than any of those questions. It's a question that resonates deep within all of us. And here's the question. Who do you say I am? There is no greater question that has been asked throughout the history of humanity than that very one. Who do you say I am? 
He asked the twelve. The twelve have been with him for two years plus, and they're, they're seeing all these different things happening. You can almost feel the tension begin to build, but because Peter is so impulsive and perhaps impatient, Peter blurts out these words, You are the Messiah. Imagine the elation that Peter has at this point. The very one that we've been longing for for centuries is now on the scene. It means that everything's going to be fixed. It means that we, the twelve, are going to get great seats and as we do this authority, as we live out his reign and his rule. We're all excited. This is going to be fantastic. And so Peter is thrilled with this. Peter is the first of the apostles to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. You can feel this sense of ecstasy, this sense of excitement, this this sense of enthusiasm. Wow, they've got it. Perhaps at this point, Jesus is saying, well, at least somebody's gathering who I am, understanding who I am. And we wish, I wish, I should say, that this encounter stopped there. But remember, impatience always leads to a failure to see the big picture. We continue on in verse 31. He then, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. So Jesus explains what's about to happen to him. Explains that he's going to be rejected. Explains that he's going to be beaten. Explains that he's going to be killed. And yet he will rise on the third day. That's what's going to happen to the Messiah. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You have to have a whole lot of courage to rebuke Jesus Christ. But Peter thought he was doing the right thing. And Peter quickly came to understand this, that Peter's view of the Messiah and Jesus' view of the Messiah were not the same. I invite you to watch this video clip about perhaps what was going through Peter's mind as he was called the following. But when Jesus turned, in verse 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. The very one that the very first one to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah in just a matter of moments is now called Satan. Take a look at this clip. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter wrote those words a few decades after this incident that we just read. Peter wanted his, his, his way. He wanted it now. He wanted it to happen in his way. And yet when we're impatient, we fail to see the big picture. We have a God who never fails to see the big picture. So that's one of the costs, and another cost, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, is not only a failure to see the big picture when we're impatient, but also a failure to see one's faults. We pick it up again in Mark chapter 14, looking at verse 27. 
Jesus says this, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declares, Even if all fall away, I will not. Let's just let that sink in for a little bit. Peter's a part of a group of 12 individuals. 12 individuals who have seen Jesus Christ do an amazing variety of things. He's part of 12 individuals that risked everything, that left it all to follow after Jesus Christ. And now now Peter, in one foul swoop, when Jesus says, everybody's going to fall away. Everybody, all of you are going to fall away. Peter says this, even if everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. Impatience is a failure to, it leads to a failure to see one's fault. And how does this happen? How does this live out? It lives out this way. Peter, just like you and I, goes into comparison shopping mode. Peter doesn't measure his faithfulness to Jesus Christ. He realizes he could never live up to that. But what he does is he compares himself to others. When that individual cut me off the other day on the 101, I immediately didn't say, God bless you, thank you for slowing me down. I immediately thought, how much, of a, how much better of a driver I am than this Yahoo who just cut me off. I didn't compare myself to everybody else. Well, I compared myself to him, and I looked really good at this particular time. Peter cries out and says, even if all else fail, and they fall away, I will not. And Jesus responds, verse 30, Truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. We forget just how fallible we are. When we're impatient, we think that everything's going to go our ways. When we're impatient, we forget that we are broken people, that we are fallible people, and we forget so quickly how costly our impatience is. We pick up the encounter in verse 66 of chapter 14. Now remember, Peter said, I will never fall away from you. Even if I have to die for you, I will. Everybody else will fall away, but I won't. Verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. 
I'm sure up to this point in Peter's life, he had heard plenty of roosters crowing. But on that particular occasion, when that rooster crowed, I'm sure he had never heard a crowing quite like that one. When our impatience catches up with us, when we forget how fallible we are, when we realize that we have, have, have gone into comparing ourselves to others to try and make ourselves look better, when we do all of this and then the, then, then the whole reality comes at us, that we're broken just like everybody else, it stings a lot. A failure to see the big picture, a failure to see that we have faults, and then it leads to what I believe the most significant cost of all. And I invite you to turn one or two more pages to Mark chapter 16 and listen to these words. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Remember, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord's patience. Peter, the last time we saw him, he had denied Jesus Christ three times. The rooster crows, Peter weeps, he's out of the picture. And now we come to this place in Mark 16 where the resurrection has happened. Where the resurrection has happened with such enthusiasm, such excitement, and yet such confusion. Remember what I said a little while ago. That Mark's gospel is written from Peter's perspective. And in the midst of all the hoopla, in the midst of all the excitement, in the midst of where is Jesus, we read these words. But go tell his disciples and Peter. The biggest cost of impatience is a failure to forgive oneself. A failure to forgive oneself. Peter, the apostle who was first to call Jesus the Messiah. Peter, the apostle who walked on water. Peter, the apostle who told Jesus that he would die for him. Peter, the apostle who was impatient, impulsive. Whatever word you want to use, he was always moving forward very quickly. His impatience catches up with him. He denies Christ. And upon the resurrection happening, the angel says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Does that strike you as interesting? Peter's perspective. Peter does not include himself as a disciple any longer. Remember Mark's gospel written from Peter's perspective. As Peter's giving a a recount of what happened that day to Mark, he says this, Go tell 
his disciples and Peter. It would make sense if Peter believed that he was part of the team still. It would make sense that Peter would say, go tell the disciples. But Peter is intentional here by saying, go tell the disciples and Peter. The one person that we have a hard time forgiving more often than not is the very one that we look at in the mirror. Our impatience leads us to not forgiving ourselves. Because we can't believe that we did it again. We can't believe that we did it again and again and again. And Peter, a few decades later, after this encounter, writes these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, as we now see the power of patience. The power of patience, this patience that, that Peter writes about a few decades later, the power of patience is found in Jesus Christ. Before Jesus encountered the betrayal, the crucifixion, and all that went with it, his death, he took some time and from John 13 to 17, as where it's recorded, to go over all types of important theology that the apostles were going to need to know. And listen to what John writes here in John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, and listen to these words, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Perhaps you're thinking right now that patience means being lazy and just letting things happen, but I don't think anybody would ever accuse the patience of Jesus Christ as being lazy. He was patient. Patience means hanging in there even when it is not easy. For three years, Jesus was with these people, and as he gets ready to talk to them, he says this, he loved them to the end, meaning his patience was on full display to the very end, that he was going to not give up. He was patient with them to this point. He will be patient with them to the very end. And I began to think about this. Imagine if Jesus was impatient. Imagine if Jesus was impatient at the wedding in, in, in Cana at Galilee, where he turned all this water into wine. But he was impatient. And instead of taking care of everybody, probably only, probably only a few people would, got, would have had the, the wine. Imagine if Jesus was impatient at the feeding of the 5,000. Probably only 3,000 or so would have been fed. Now granted, these are all things that did not happen. Imagine if Jesus was impatient as Peter walked on the water and began to sink. And Jesus walked away because he had had it with Peter's impulsiveness. Imagine if Jesus was impatient on the cross and did not love to the very end. Full payment for sin, not accomplished. And imagine if Jesus was impatient with you. Imagine what that would feel like.
a sense of hopelessness, a sense of defeat, a sense of wondering, is there any, is there any answer out there? The Lord's patience led to him suffering for all of us. And because of his patient patience, the Lord rescues all who place their trust in him. And the same is true for Peter. For in chapter 21, Jesus talks to, to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That encounter that Peter had with Jesus in John chapter 21, Jesus reinstates Peter. Jesus is, Peter is restored, not because of anything Peter wanted, but because of what Jesus Christ wanted to do in Peter's life. The Lord's patience always leads to salvation. His patience with you and me. His patience to hang in there when things get difficult. His patience with us as we mess up here and there. His, his patience always leads to salvation. And what does it mean to you that he is patient? What does his patience mean to you? It means that there's always hope. It means that he's not going to give up on you. And it means that he's there for you all the time. We are an impatient people who, who have lives that need to be interrupted by the patience of God Almighty in powerful ways. We're told to build patience that we need to count to ten. I say this in response to that. Don't count to ten. Count on Jesus. Father, we pray as we contemplate these words. We thank you that your patience has rescued us. And yes, we know it was because you loved us and we know that you hung in there with us. And we say right now, thank you for being patient. And we pray, Lord, that you would break through our impulsiveness, our impatience, our aggravation with this or that when things don't go the way that we want them to go. And Lord, instead of us counting to ten, may we count on you to carry us through. The patient one. The one who longs for us to be saved. The one who longs for us to repent and experience restoration. Oh Lord, have mercy on us and impatient people. And may you interrupt our lives with your incredible patience for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing a couple more songs, and and as we sing those songs, may we rest in his good patience with us.
rest in the fact that he cares for us throughout the whole time.